Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to the Boss Up Podcast, episode 128. We're officially two weeks past my book's big publication day, and I'm rounding out the final week of the Boss Up Book Tour. So if you are in Los Angeles, come join me and my two pod pals, Erica Mandy of the Newsworthy Podcast and Bailey Hancock of the Bailey Hancock Show tonight in Santa Monica at Spaces. Erica will be leading a live Q&A interview all about the book, and you'll have the chance to ask questions and join the conversation all about banishing burnout and stepping up as the boss of your life and career. And then my final public book tour event is coming up this Thursday in San Francisco. I'm joining forces with Bossed Up Trainer team member Kathleen Hart, who you've heard here on this podcast before. She's a negotiation expert who's a total delight and a badass to boot, along with Emily from Six Degrees Society. They're joining me at Book Passage in the Ferry Building in downtown San Francisco. So I hope to see some of you California bosses out this week. And thanks again for all the early support of the new book. I'm loving seeing all your snaps online of the book in the wild and in your hands and in your homes and on bookshelves nationwide and in the hands of our neighbors to the north up in Canada, where the Boss Up book also released on May 21. Thank you again for your support. And I'm so excited to see more of you dive in the book and tell me what you think. So as always, tag me at Emily Aries or at Boss.org to let me know your thoughts. And I'm always happy to tweet back or comment on your posts and often reshare your Instagram stories. So make sure you're tagging me. I'd love to see what you think. Now, a big part of getting bossed up and something I write a ton about in this book has everything to do with setting healthy boundaries. You cannot banish burnout, especially in our overwork culture, without having really clear boundaries about what you will and will not tolerate. And one of the best times to set those boundaries for yourself is upon the acceptance of a new job. This can be really tricky because when you first get a new job, you get real busy making sure you're proving yourself worthy of the hire, right? I mean, that's still true for me. And it was especially true for me early on in my career. Whenever someone gave me a job or an opportunity, I wanted to hit the ground running. And, you know, that comes from a perfectly fine place, this desire to please others and make sure folks are confident that they made the right call when hiring you. But too much of that behavior can really set you up to burnout and not set you up for sustainable success. And that's kind of the position that today's caller found herself in when she called in this week's career conundrum. Take a listen. Hi, Emily. First of all, I just want to say thanks so much for everything that you're doing. I've really appreciated all of your advice in the group. I also called in with a question earlier. So thanks a lot for all of the support you've given me. I have a specific question. So I just started a new position a couple months ago. And overall, I would say it's one of my most positive work experiences. I'm growing. 
I'm learning, and I feel like I have a really great manager who supports my growth. I'll start it off by saying that I do work in operations and kind of project management, so I kind of have my foot in a lot of different areas, which I think already is just a little bit more challenging because I always have a lot going on and other people can be a little bit more focused. But I've been working anywhere from 50 to 60 hours a week, evenings, mornings before work, weekends. That's pretty much constant for me just because I have quick turnaround on some things. But I started to feel a little bit frustrated with the fact that I have higher education, more specific experience, more analytic skills or better analytic skills, stronger writing skills, and am vastly more organized than my coworkers who also happen to be more senior than me in their positions. And I'm actually still in my 20s, but I have a really good, strong background. And my other colleagues are probably 20 plus years older than me. So there is sort of an age difference there. But I'm starting to feel a little bit resentful with the fact that I bring so much to the table. I actually applied for an internal position, but because I'm a new hire, I can't be considered for that position, even though it's higher level and what I'm really after is a raise. I want more money for my position. Um, And I did negotiate a little bit when I was first hired, but yeah, so I guess my question is two things. How do you address an imbalance in workload? And then is there any way to address the fact that I feel like at my skill level, I'm being underpaid, even though I guess maybe... I am qualified for higher level positions, but there's sort of like a hiring hold on that. Kind of a complicated question, but I love any thoughts that you have. Thanks a lot. Now, this is a very relatable career conundrum. So thank you, boss, for calling it in and affording us the opportunity to once again tackle one of your career conundrums. I'm so glad this is your second time calling in and that you found it useful the first time. I encourage anyone listening to pick up the phone and call in your career conundrum if you want to get your question addressed on this podcast too. That number is, as always, 910-668-BOSS or 2677. But joining me on the podcast today to help break all this down is Dr. Monica Marcellus Bachman, a career coach and Bossed Up Trainer team member and the founder of Sheldrake Consulting. Monica helps people get unstuck and take their career to the next level. She works one-on-one with her clients to help them not just survive, but thrive during big career transitions. She provides career and interview coaching, resume and cover letter writing, and candid feedback focused on leadership development and career advancement. And that is the reason why she is the perfect person to join me on today's episode for a very candid conversation about where our caller finds herself in today. Monica, thanks so much for joining me here. Thrilled to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I'm excited to dig into this. Yeah, so we've got a doozy of a question here that I'm thrilled this caller called in, but I also want to prepare this caller for a little bit of tough love on this podcast episode because I feel like I've almost been in her shoes before And I'm wondering, have you come across in your line of work or in your past work experience that overwork begets overwork problem? Have you come across this issue where she's going above and beyond and now she's starting to feel really resentful? Yes, absolutely. And I wanted to first acknowledge that the caller did a good job of acknowledging that up front. Right. And that's so important because that is where the growth and the the change and the energy to do something different about the situation will come from totally acknowledging how the caller is feeling about it and she said i'm feeling resentful and frustrated yeah yeah and the overwork piece yeah it's 
you know, we volunteer because we hope that it will lead to new opportunities, you know, more money, more potential. But the problem with that is we've volunteered, right? So then that has set up the precedent that, oh, well, you volunteered for this, so you'll just continue to volunteer. Right. And then it gets into that spiral of, like you said, overwork. And I think that's part of what the caller is expressing here is that frustration, you know, and mentioned 50 to 60 hours a week, which is a lot. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. This is, I mean, I could not have queued her up. I could not have like planted a better question to talk about my book because this is the real basis of why I wrote my book. I grew up with a mom who martyred herself, who continues to Mm -hmm. martyr herself to this day and without necessarily meaning to, has set this precedent for what it looks like to give 110% of yourself for your children, Mm -hmm. for your job, for your community, what have you. And, you know, the book is not a takedown of my mom, but it's a pretty honest reflection on what that martyrdom mindset does, where it leaves women in particular. Because we almost exist at this intersection of the Protestant work ethic, this idea that your worthiness hinges on your productivity, hinges on your work product. And then you combine that with all the gender stereotypes about what it means to be a good woman, a nice lady, being caring, sweet, supportive, empathic. And it leaves us as women in particular with this crappy smorgasbord of expectations, internal and external, that we put on our own plates. And then, of course, we end up resentful. Of course, we end up burnt out and frustrated and and feeling underappreciated. And I'm trying to, in this book and in my life and in starting Bossed Up, I'm trying to figure out what it looks like to change that script. Mm -hmm. I mean, where does it start for you in, in giving this caller advice from a career strategist perspective? You know, what are the things she needs to really do to feel less resentful, feel less taken advantage of? Well, a couple of things, you know, when the caller said 50 to 60 hours a week, you know, nights and weekends, my first reaction to that was why? Or is this role? So she mentioned operations. Right. Right. So operations and project management. So, of course, yes, she's got a lot of balls in the air. and. Yep. You know, even mentions that later that she doesn't have time to dig in and really focus. Which is good for nobody, right? Right. Like, I'm sure nobody wants her job to be that way. Like, her boss wants her to be able to be focused and uninterrupted. And she feels like this is how it has to be. So my question to the caller is, why are you working 50 to 60 hours a week? Is that really what's required? Or are you doing that in hopes of being recognized, being promoted, making yourself invaluable to the team. And those are all natural, good desires, right. but is becoming counterproductive because it yeah. is to that resentment. Right. I always think of it almost as the economics principle of the point of diminishing returns, yes. right? More hours in, better work product out. That is true up into a point. Yep. And We push ourselves to that point. We compete with our electronic devices. We pretend like we as human beings can run multiple programs simultaneously, continuously without buffering, essentially, without reducing our quality of work. And it's bullshit, frankly. Like that is not how our bodies work. And it also leaves us feeling 
Like this is the only way it has to be. And, mm-hmm. and it becomes almost compulsive, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. Especially for women. You know, we've been deputized to wait for recognition and right. for someone to come along and rescue us. And, you know, I think the overwork contributes to that. At the very beginning of the call, she mentions she has just started and is growing and learning and has a great manager. And so I think those are advantages in this situation. And if I were coaching this person, one of the things I would suggest is that she set up a meeting with that person um, to really dig in and talk about what's happening and Mm -hmm. that that meeting be focused more on evidence and data than on her perceptions of what is happening. Yeah, it sounds almost like the distinction you're drawing is between the clear triggers that she's identified that are burning her out, like continuously working 50 to 60 hours a week, working on weekends, feeling like I have no ability to focus because I have such tight deadlines to turn around on. The perception that almost paints her as this victim of other people's underappreciation, for lack of a better word, would not serve her well in that meeting with her boss because it would sound accusatory, right? Yeah, totally agree. Yep. And, you know, she's frustrated and that's, that's normal and natural and we've all been there. Right. And it's okay to share those feelings of frustration with the appropriate people, but... I would challenge that her manager or supervisor is the person to talk about problem solving with, but not necessarily yep. the person to just go in and vent to. <laughs> A clear distinction that is very important to draw. I agree. I like to counsel folks that I work with on this to use the word sustainable. Yes. You know, I'm here to talk to you about how I can be sustainable in this role. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so energized by this work but I'm struggling with these three things. I have no ability to focus. I feel like I have to work 24 seven. I feel like I'm putting in 50 to 60 hours a week. How can we make this a sustainable role where I can have boundaries that you're okay with? Mm -hmm. And that's what it sounds like she's completely lacking are boundaries or any sense of having them or or having the ability to create them. Totally agree. Yeah. And the conversation too can be about what are the priorities of this role and let's make those clear to both of us so that my decision-making can be influenced by those priorities instead of right now, it sounds like everything is kind of coming from the fire hose. Yep. You know, what's interesting is that when I had a martyrdom mindset about all this and for women who I know struggle with that mindset, the idea of going to your boss to have this conversation feels comparable to a personal admission of failure. Mm -hmm. When in reality, going to your boss, saying how you see this broader systemic problem that is going to lead to burnout or attrition or turnover or just being unsustainable in this role is actually a leadership move, right? You're bringing this strategic problem to the attention of your supervisor and asking for their input on how you prioritize your plate or what you take off your plate and what you add to it and and how you order the things you're tackling each month. That is a leadership move. That's a boss move. And it Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with personal failure. It has everything to do with being strategic about forecasting your capacity. Absolutely. And another advantage that this caller has is 
she was pretty clear in what her strengths are and the value yeah. that she brings. So more power to you, you know, because so many of totally. us take too long to figure that out. So she's got a leg up there and that she already knows the value that she brings. So totally. part of the conversation can be, how can I bring even more value? How can I continue to tap into my strengths to create something that is strategic and sustainable? Because that's better for everyone and especially for her, right? Oh, definitely. And I agree. I echo your sentiments. It was really nice to hear her talking so positively about herself. Yes. Because sometimes when we're we're drowning in, in overwork, it feels like we can be our own worst critics. So it's good to hear her talking so positively about her skill set. She clearly is well-versed with what her skills are. The one area I would caution her on is bringing a comparative analysis yes. to her colleagues. Yes, I was. Yes. Yep. Right. Like yep. it doesn't matter if you're more organized than your superiors. It doesn't matter. Like you're being gauged on and you're being, you know, rated on, or we hope to be rated on your performance right. next to the expectations people have of your performance. Now, yeah. odds are she's probably outperforming everybody's expectations of her, but her salary and her skill set, it's not a comparative thing. Don't have anything to do with anybody else. Right. Yeah. And so I, I, I want to put her in a position to negotiate a raise, but she's got to be sustainable in how she's pursuing that case to be made for her own raise and her own performance. I totally agree. Yep. And that's part of the frustration bubbling up. Yeah. Right. Of is course. Of to course. offload some of that onto your coworkers, right? Yeah. That's a great point. And I'd be really, really careful about that because everybody brings something to this team and to, to the table. Otherwise, they wouldn't mm -hmm. still be there, right? Or at least according to their, you know, hirees or whoever hired them, right? right? Like it could be very well true that she's delivering 125% compared to her colleagues. Sure. But here's the thing, really. While resentment is a logical conclusion to draw from her experience, it's a totally valid feeling that I want to, I want to validate. Nobody has sympathy for resentment. Mm. Like that's the irony of the martyrdom mindset is that you are giving and giving and giving of yourself. And then you expect everybody to do the same. Mm -hmm. That's not their prerogative, you know? And if you feel resentful for not being matched by effort and hours in by your colleagues, it's not necessarily that they need to change to do what you're doing it might actually be the other way around and say, how can I condition others to treat me the way I want to be treated, especially at this moment of starting a new job, which is a really good moment to set up boundaries for what you need to be sustainable. Right. Absolutely. And part of that conversation has to be about the number of hours worked. Because Absolutely. She's unfortunately dug a tiny bit of a hole for herself yeah. by already... Yeah setting up that she's okay with 50 to 60 hours a week. Right. She sets a precedent and taking responsibility and ownership over the precedent you're setting. Yep. It's a really important thing to factor in here. It doesn't mean you can't change, right? I think the conversation you're suggesting with her supervisor is a great way to bring that up. But, you know, sometimes we set ourselves up to burn out and then we yep. I have women who quit their jobs with you know, full vacation in the bank, you know, having never used vacation days. And so there's a self-monitoring that we have to take responsibility for. It feels really kind of shitty to give this advice, right? It feels like the biggest irony is the people who are most susceptible to burning out are the hardest working people in the office. Yeah. And don't let that happen to you, right? Like we have to take responsibility for establishing clear boundaries for what matters most to us. 
Yeah. I would suggest too, that part of this is all wrapped up in wanting more money. Yeah. And then she also mentioned that there's a hiring hold right now. And Mm -hmm. I think that is also contributing to the feelings of resentment. Yeah. You know, that she sees potential in herself, rightfully so, but is maybe feeling a little, her hands are tied right now because of the hiring hold that she's in. Right. And it's sort of like, listen, no one forced you to take this role. Right. You know, from her boss's perspective, it's like no one forced you to take this role. Nobody. Well, I mean, maybe someone is forcing her to work 50 to 60 hours a week. It's hard to decipher what is true about that and what is more compulsive. I want to do such a great job. I want to show them that I, you know, I can do 110% or I want to show them that I'm I'm capable of even more and they should pay me. Right. But, you know, we've got plenty of episodes that are designed to, about how to get a raise and this ain't it. <laughs> it's not to do 150%, you know? Yes, totally agree. And again, to your point earlier about if she does go in to ask for a raise, that it needs to be about her value add and right right what she is contributing what she's bringing the potential for growth for her and for the company in keeping her on yeah it can't be about well i'm working more than my colleagues and i'm better than them so you pay me more money right exactly that's counterintuitive it it won't go the way that she wants it to if that's if that's how she walks in with the ask. Right. It almost sounds like there's two negotiations going on right now. The one is obviously she wants to vie for a raise. She wants more money. She feels she's underpaid. And that's a longer term game. She should probably put in at least six months to a year and then have that conversation about performance, about how I'm doing, about why I deserve more money and ask for it. And we've got plenty of great episodes on that. I will link to all of those top negotiation resources in the show notes. But the other negotiation is a negotiation within herself, (laughs) is this internal conversation of, do I have to reply within 10 minutes to my clients on the weekends? Mm -hmm. Do I have deadlines right now that require me to be on 24-7? And how, how can I negotiate out of that? You know, can I have an autoresponder that I put up on my inbox saying, thank you for your email. I'm out of the office after five o'clock, Monday through Friday. I'm out of the office Saturday and Sundays. If your matter is urgent, call me. Here's my number. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. is it a matter of bringing her priorities to her boss and saying, I want to align my priorities with your priorities, but how can she be more assertive about her own boundaries so that she doesn't feel resentful so that she feels like the amount of money she's making right now does align with the work she's put again by paring back the work when she can't, you know, bring up her salary. Mm-hmm. Well, and one strategy too is I sometimes advise clients to write a letter to yourself oh. or even to the coworker, maybe who you think is this big thorn in your side and to just write it all out, right? Just yeah. brain dump, just get it all out there. I mean, you don't ever send it. <laughs> <laughs> important note, just, important detail. Yeah. <laughs> don't send it. But to just get it all out on paper because, and she took the first step already by calling in and asking this question. So, totally. you know, kudos to her. There's a level of self-awareness there, which I think is fantastic. And not many people have. So I think right. she's on the right track. I would advise her to do even more of that and to really sift through the perception of her colleagues as 
less skilled or or less qualified than her. I'll be honest, that was a big red flag for me in listening to the call and to the question. And I think she just wants to be really careful about setting up this dynamic in her own head. Right. That she is more skilled and more qualified than her colleagues. It's just not productive. I mean, I don't want to throw shade at at women for throwing shade because the Lord knows I do it myself. And I think it's warranted at times. And we all know that there are a bunch of unqualified bros who are making more money than Mm -hmm. super qualified women and people of color are for systemic biased bullshit reasons. But the resentment has nothing to do with the comparative analysis. Or maybe it has, I should say, it has less to do with that than what she feels like she's missing out on. Right. There's this interesting anecdote in Ariana Huffington's book, Thrive, which came out, I think, about five years ago now, in which she talks about how burnout and feeling resentful really vary dramatically from person to person, depending mm-hmm. on what they're forced into leaving behind or, you know, the tough choices that we're forced to make. So for her example, they had a recurring Friday meeting or a recurring Tuesday meeting that would tend to run late. And as a result, one of the members of their executive team missed out on a weekly dinner that he had with his community members. So he was getting together with friends and family members for dinners every Tuesday. And by the very nature of having to miss that specific dinner, on a regular basis, he felt resentful. And mm-hmm. it was as simple as identifying the triggers, like she started to do here in the caller's question, but really getting clear on what is it that I want to do besides work, other than make more money? <laughs> but right. like, what is it that I'm trying to get to that would make me feel more fulfilled and more sustainable while I am building towards a raise conversation? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. What is she not able to do because she's working 50 to 60 hours a week? Right. Exactly. Is she a writer? Is she an artist? Is she wanting to have more time to exercise or travel or spend time with family or a partner or a pet? You know, what are the pieces? Because I don't think it sounds like the caller enjoys the work itself. Right. So the resentment is coming from the loss of something else because work is filling that void instead. And the other interesting scenario here that might be playing out, again, we don't have all the details, so I'd be curious to hear from the caller on this, but this might just be an example of what happens when we negotiate an offer, we don't get all that we asked for, and then we take the offer that we should have walked away from. Mm-hmm. This is the risk. And I, when I coach women through negotiations, we get really clear on what is my line in the sand. Mm-hmm. And if an offer, a final negotiated offer does not clear that threshold, this is what you risk by taking the job anyway, instead of continuing your job search. Now, granted, it's a very privileged thing to be able to do to walk away from a job offer that's not perfect, but... If you can afford to do it, if you're not, you know, facing foreclosure or getting, you know, kicked out of your apartment or whatever, this is why it is so important to negotiate and get what you're asking for at a minimum or leave it on the table, walk away and keep your job search going. Yeah. And in her call, she says, well, I just started and we don't know what that means. Right. right. And how long is the hiring hold? 
Yeah. So tell me more about how that factors in. Because so hiring hold in this case, we assume means they're not hiring anybody right now, right? Well, it could. I interpreted it to mean that she was not eligible for a promotion because of the hiring hold on her personally. Yeah. I mean, it does sound kind of silly to accept a job offer and then immediately internally apply for another job position within that organization. You know, if she's just a few months in, you know, from the employer's perspective, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me to hire somebody in one position and then, you know, six weeks later, consider them for a different position. Right. Yes. Agreed. I had questions about what's the timing of, of those pieces. Yeah. Tricky. And I think, too, an underutilized resource in this situation is the manager. But she says, you know, I have a great manager who's supportive of my growth. That's a good point. So let's talk a little bit more in detail about what it would look like for her to go into that meeting. Because I want her to listen to this episode and feel like, okay, I know I've got some internal work to do, but this is a piece of external support that I can set up for myself. How would you advise her in approaching her manager exactly? Well, the first part is I would make sure that she had really done the internal work first, you know, so like writing a letter to herself to just, you know, write a blog post journal about like, why am I really angry and frustrated? Is it the workload? Is it that I didn't get a raise that they told me no? Or, you know, what are the other pieces that are going on that are contributing to the resentment? So the first thing is I would want to make sure that she had really tackled those pieces first, because if she doesn't, they're going to spill over into the meeting with the manager. True. But once that was accomplished, then to your point about creating a sustainable model, I would have data and evidence as much as possible. Yeah. As opposed to feelings and even her tone of voice and talking about the colleagues, like she said, I'm vastly more qualified that I would be just really, really careful about that. Yeah. It wouldn't play well with her manager. Nope. And so that's off the table when she does talk to the manager. It needs to be about her work, her role, where she's spending her time, what messages is she getting about how to prioritize her time or not? And then what is a mutually beneficial solution to the frustration? Yeah. And she could almost spin this in a really positive framework by saying, hey, I'm so excited about this work. I really feel like I've hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. You know, one of my biggest weaknesses is sometimes I go overboard. I go over the top. And I want to talk to you about that because over the past three months that I've been here, I just did the math. I've been clocking in between 50 and 60 hours a week. I've been working on weekends to make sure that our clients get responsive support on those time-specific or time-sensitive inquiries that come in and nights and weekends. And I have to be honest with you, I want to be here for the long haul. I want to be sustainable in this role. And I'm not sure this is going to work if I don't make some clear boundaries. So I want to talk with you, brilliant manager, you know, about what boundaries you would suggest or how you think I might be able to set myself up for sustainable success here. Right. Like she can say in this almost self-deprecating way, silly me, I work too hard. It's a, it's a curse of mine, but it's because I really love the work. Help me figure out how to, how to not do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And I love the part too about, and that was one of my notes too, Emily, about discussing career progression, you know, yeah, because it sounds like there's potential for that already. 
So totally again, like how can she flip it and say, you know, I, I see myself here long-term. I want to continue to contribute to this organization. So let's discuss what that might look like. Yeah. I love that. And what I need to do to show you that I'm capable of more, you know, that I can step up to the plate. Right. And, you know, caller, this takes a little bit of humility. The feedback we're giving you in this interview is some tough love. Like I warned at the top because sometimes it's more than just performance. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's actually more than just crushing it in your role and expecting to be rewarded for it. Sometimes you really got to play the politics of understanding your boss, understanding your colleagues. If they're doing less, but getting more, you got to figure out why Yep, and how you can get you some of that. Yeah, absolutely. Again, they're there for a reason, hopefully, right? I mean, we're assuming that they are contributing something. So what role do they play? Do they have organizational knowledge and history that the caller doesn't have? And maybe even approaching some peers. I would definitely go to your direct supervisor first because you don't want to give the impression you're going around them. But say you do go to, to folks who've been there longer, who seem to be less organized and do less and say, hey, you know, do you have any advice for me? Because I feel like I'm really spinning my wheels here Mm -hmm. and I want to make sure that I'm performing in a way that's up to par, but also not going to burn me out. You know, maybe you can actually learn from some of those folks. And (laughs) I get it though. It feels annoying at the least to hear from your colleagues on how they do less, (laughs) but. And again, it's her perception of what they're doing, right? I mean, true. Misty Copeland, you know, American Ballet, first African-American woman to yeah. to be in that company has said, well, it's supposed to look easy. That's why I practice. Yeah. Right? So, That's a good point. That's right? a good like, point. I mean, I do want to acknowledge that the meritocracy is not fair. Oh, you know what I mean? Like yes. that women often do have to prove themselves before they get the promotion, whereas men are often promoted on on potential alone. Absolutely. So there's yep. definitely something, tr- some truth, underlying truth to the concept. I have to be twice as good to go half as far, mm-hmm. which is shitty, right? But sure. there's some truth in there. And yet I think over buying into that philosophy, leading your every day with that in mind and thinking I need to go above and beyond 110% all the time in everything I do is self-defeating. Mm-hmm. And yep. That is the ultimate tension in my book. It's like, how do you look injustice in the eye and say, you know what the radical thing to do here is not to overperform, not to buy into this biased world full of injustice, is actually to take care of myself and to advocate for what I need. And it's my thesis. It's one way to do it. But that is exactly what I wrestle with, especially in relation to my mom's take on how she lives her life and how I'm trying to figure out how to do me without, you know, rejecting my mother's martyrdom, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but also like rewriting that role for myself. It's really intimidating. (laughs) Really. And yeah. And I want to acknowledge that for the caller too, that she's asking hard questions and hard questions usually have hard answers too. And so the work that she's going to do is not easy. Right. And it may not be resolved in one conversation. Definitely. You know, could be an ongoing piece of her professional development. And like you said, moving towards a more sustainable role at, in this organization. I love it. Well, Monica, tell us more about how you work with folks on this front as well. 
Yeah, thanks. Honestly, I do so much listening and actually listen and silence are all the same letters. Ooh. Yeah. And I really believe as a coach that we know the right answer or we know the right next step for us. And coaching is about giving yourself permission to do that. So as a coach, I very rarely tell people what to do. I listen very carefully to what they are saying and what they're not saying, Mm. and then flip it back to them and talk about, so what does it look like to not address this? Or what does Mm. it look like to address this? And then to really come up with strategies and action plans for whatever the next step is for them. I love it. It sounds like a workplace therapist. (laughs) Sounds like you like you do the work of mirroring and, you know, helping people explore themselves like a good therapist does. But in terms of their careers, I love that. Yeah. And especially for my female women identifying clients, so much of it is pushing them to see themselves as strong and capable and in control of the narrative. Mm. Right. You know, to your point earlier about this martyrdom mindset that we've all it's been ingrained in us, you know, for so long. And we do have agency. It may not always feel like it if we're frustrated. Right. But we do have choices. And so a lot of what I help people do is see what those choices are. I love it. Well, thank you for helping illuminate those choices for our caller today. Yeah, I'm really wishing that person good luck and would love to hear more, actually. So hopefully the caller will call back with a boss move. Yeah, call in with a boss move, you know, three weeks from now saying, here's how that conversation went. I would love to hear that, too. Yeah, that would be awesome. Well, thanks again, Monica. This has been a total delight. Thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate it. For more information on where you can follow up with Monica and find more resources related to today's conversation, head to bossedup.org slash episode 128. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move Moment of the Week. Hi, Emily. This is Carly. I'm calling from Detroit, Michigan area. I was really inspired by the episode 120, Why Resilience Matters for Your Career and Life. I am an MS patient. Um, I live with it every day, and it was really great to hear somebody else living with chronic illness on your podcast, bringing a lot of awareness to it. So thank you. I wanted to call in and share those with you. I've had a really awesome month, and it's really cool to be able to share with other people. The day before your episode aired, the number 120, I actually had a blog post called, But I Don't Look Sick, that was launched with a local women's collective called The She Hive. I have also hosted and co-hosted two classes there for women that are living with chronic and invisible illnesses. And lastly, but not least, later this summer, I'm actually working with a group as one of the moderators for a national MS support group that will be on GoToMeeting. So it's been pretty awesome. And I just wanted to share that with you and hopefully that will help other people feel inspired and be visible as an advocate for themselves and for others. 
Hell yeah, boss. We are cheering you on. And I can't thank you enough for sharing your boss move this week. It is such an inspiring way to wrap up today's episode. And I appreciate you calling in to share your come up story. You really never know who you're inspiring when you dare to brag on your bad self. So thank you again for calling it in. If you've got a boss move of the week to share or a career conundrum you want me to tackle on the podcast next, give our hotline a ring right now at 910-668-BOSS or send us a voice memo at info at bossedup.org. And now I want to hear from you. What did you find helpful from today's conversation with Dr. Monica Marcellus-Fachman? How do you go about drawing healthy boundaries and really, you know, reducing the potential for future resentment, especially when you're starting a new job? In your experience, have you ever found yourself feeling like you're pulling way more than your fair share of weight at work? And how did you deal with that? Share your experience in the comments section today at bossedup.org slash episode 128. And a major thank you to everyone who's already come out and joined me on the Bossed Up book tour thus far. We're nine cities in, two more to go in LA tonight in San Francisco later this week. And I am overwhelmed by your support and enthusiasm and your response to this book. So thank you for being such vocal, supportive members of this here Courage community. It means the world to me. And I also know that this is graduation season. If you know someone who is currently navigating that rocky transition from college to career, the Boss Up book makes for an excellent gift when thinking about how to help a recent grad navigate the on-ramp to reality that comes after graduation day. And as a matter of fact, I am hosting a webinar specifically for recent graduates all about how to advocate for yourself when transitioning from college to career and really taking a proactive role for getting bossed up early on in your career. And anyone who can provide proof of purchase of the Bossed Up book can get into this webinar for free. We're going to go in-depth into strategies for owning your power and self-respect while being respectful of others, how to ask for what you want and get what you need out of your career, and how to seek out mentorship and grow your community of courage when you're just starting out. Head to bossedup.org slash book for more details and to find out how you or a recent graduate you know and maybe gift the book to can get in on this one-time live webinar or get access to the replay. But until next time, keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose and together we'll lift as we climb. Let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Jahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men, and it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. 
Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup.